You're listening to The Wind from Eden, Montana Weather Stories, a production of the Ivandoic Archive at the Montana State University Library. I'm Jeff Rice. We had blizzards and 30, 40 mile an hour winds that you couldn't even see, you'd get lost. However, the team of horses works really good in a blizzard because when you're lost, they may not be lost and you can always turn them loose and they will come back to the barn. Today's Montana weather story is from White Sulphur Springs resident Gordon Doick, cousin of the Montana-born writer Ivan Doick. Both cousins grew up in ranching families, and storytelling also seems to run in the genes. I had a chance to speak with Gordon Doig about the importance of weather to Montana ranchers, and how weather also played a role in his late cousin's life and novels. Before we hear from Gordon Doig, here's his cousin Ivan reading a section from his memoir, This House of Sky. It became the winter which the Basin people afterward would measure all other winters against. The dark-timbered mountains around them went white as icebergs. The tops of sagebrush vanished under drifts. And up around the bodies of bawling livestock, the wind twirled a deadlier and deadlier web of snow. Day upon day, hay sleds slogged out all across the basin to the cattle and horses as mittened men and boys fought this starvation weather with pitchforks. I asked Gordon Doig to describe how a rancher sees the weather and what it was like working on a ranch before the advantages of modern weather forecasting. The first thing they do in the morning is jump up and look and see what the weather is, what other conditions is, to know what these, what, how to prepare for it, even because if you're feeding cattle, you gotta, you got to have the right amount of teams to, to accomplish the job you have to uh, in, in the snow conditions that how much snow do you have to go through to get them? Is your trail well packed down? Because we used to feed with uh, sleds, they're, they're runner sleds, so you'd have to pack a trail because there was times if you didn't have that trail packed, you couldn't uh, pull those big loads of hay to get to the livestock. And so it was a constant challenge. And then, and then in the summer months, you'd you'd face the the same thing. With the rain was your key factor then. The more rain we get, the better off it was. But it, we always had to hope that the rain would stop for certain operations like shearing sheep and things like that. You had to have a certain amount of good weather, uh, ideal weather for drying, keeping the sheep dry though, so they could be sheared and get their wool out of them. Another activity that did go on at that time with, was uh, they would ship the wool out on the railroad and then they'd be in big sacks, about, weigh about a thousand pounds of wool in a sack. And so that was quite a process just to handle that wool and, and know how to pack it and, and get it on those cars. So, uh, but yeah, every facet of our ranching life revolved around the weather, whether we had enough grass, we were gonna have enough hay, then how do you deliver the hay in the winter because of the, you know, inclement weather conditions, uh, temperature, the more, the colder it was, the more you had to feed the cattle because it took more nutrients to keep them in shape. And uh, so it, it was a balancing act all the time. And you, you'd balance your life around it. And even when you were putting up hay, you know, you had to hit it the minute it was dry enough to cut. And, and you had to have a lot of horses out there and you had to have a place to, if you're very far from the headquarters, you had to have a barn or someplace to house those horses in the off hours. And it took uh, 
just a single hang operation would take about six teams. So it was. Well, did that make you feel philosophical? Because, I mean, you have no control over the weather. It, it, you're at the, the essentially the mercy of what happens in the environment, right? Absolutely, totally you are. And um, so that's probably one of the key, most key factors that you work around. And but you have to adjust, you, and, and you prepare for different weather conditions, you know. Like if you're haying, you don't want to have a lot of hay raked up. If, you, if the wind's going to blow uh, 30 miles an hour that afternoon because you'll have to re-rake all the hay that you just raked. And you, but a lot of those things, we didn't have the means in those days to really prepare, not knowing whether it was going to be windy or not. Certainly we'd have a good indication of what the weather was, the temperatures might be, but... Uh, but every part of the operation was was weather related, essentially. Well, you, you had to be your own weather forecaster too. Yes. I mean, they didn't have somebody that was beaming weather no, satellite no. images. To Ab you. Absolutely not. At first, when Ivan was little, when he stayed, it was all battery radios, and you didn't dare run those radios very long because the batteries run down. And batteries were expensive, so and there was no such thing as recharging them. So. Uh, you'd only turn them on maybe five minutes a day, and that was to listen to the news. I remember my dad loved price fights, so uh, that was a necessity on a Saturday night. The neighbors would come over, or we'd go to the neighbors and listen to price fights, and that'd take an hour, and that was a lot of life on a battery. So <laughs> that was an excess. That was a real treat to listen to a price fight on the Paps Blue Ribbon Beer and Gillette Blue Blades and things they'd advertise in those days for kind of unique and you don't forget those because they're still here some of those things but yeah it was pretty much everything was weather related so did did you have your own techniques for just you know deciding what was going to be happening i mean you know like people say red skies at night sailors delight oh, yeah, all that right. kind of stuff yeah 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 red skies at night Sailors delight, red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. Oh, that I heard my dad say that 10,000 times through the year. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, had to try to be your own prognosticator because, as you say, you there was no such thing as weather forecasts and, and so forth. But it's gotten better, and our, our climate has really changed here from what I remember as, as a growing up. And, and through the years when we farmed, it's, we don't get the excessive winters that we used to get. We used to get horrendous winters. You know, it could be 40 below for a week a week at a time. And now we seldom ever get the 40 below. If we do, it's just a few hours and it's gone. But uh, 30 below seems to be our, kind of our top now. And That's pretty cold. Oh, it is. It's very cold, but it's, it's mild compared to what it used to be because it would stay. And now it's our... Our snow doesn't seem to stay. It, it, we get warm spells throughout the winter, more than we used to get. And, uh, yeah, it's much milder climate, I think, in this area. And, uh, you know, the, the scientists call that climate change. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Yeah, and I guess you see it firsthand sure. when you're out in it all the time. Right, yeah, definitely you do. It's, our pattern has changed. Uh but it has through all of history, it sounds like, from the time of Christ on, that it's been changing. <laughs> I mean, that's just the nature of our earth. So, um, 
the, can you describe, I mean, you know, you experienced some of these intense winters, um, what that was like. Um, just, did it shut things down? Did it? Work? No, you couldn't let it shut you down. You had to do the best you could. And you, usually you'd find a way to, to work around it, you know, and get to the livestock, get them fed. And it was a, a full-time operation, of course. And, and there was no going away and leaving for a couple of days because uh, you were dependent on the income from the livestock, whatever you were running. And, and so the better you take care of them, the better your reward was going to be. But yeah, you, you just had to work around it. There, we did go through a time or two when we couldn't feed the cattle. It was absolutely impossible. We had blizzards and 30, 40 mile an hour winds that you couldn't even see. You'd get lost. However, the team of horses works really good in a blizzard because when you're lost, they may not be lost and you can always turn them loose and they will come back to the barn even if they can't see they have a, a fifth sense that we don't have so we'd uh, i've been in that situation about three or four times where we'd actually turn the team loose to get us home because i you, it's unbelievable how lost you become when you have nothing to guide on other than complete whiteout of snow and a blizzard and, and uh, the team is a very reliable way to, if you're lost to get you unlost wow see the horses would save your life, really, essentially. Essentially, they could have, yeah. Yeah. Because when you get lost, it's amazing. I've been lost two or three times. And when you lost, you lose all sense of direction. Of course, if you don't have anything to bear on, you know, you don't have a, something that you can see, a tree, a, a mountain, something like that, and you're totally in kind of a blackout, even though it's a whiteout, uh, you, you, do, you get totally lost. And invariably, you will go in a circle. You'll end up crossing your tracks at some point in time. If you just go on your own instinct, that happens. But if you turn a team of horses loose, hey, they'll find the barn for you and get you back home. So, yeah. Um, and you said you've done that several times? I've been lost four or five times, probably four times. But I, the two of those times was with a team, and we could turn them loose. And that was in the winter? Yeah. Is that something that your your dad told you? It's like if you oh, get yeah. lost, turn the horses yeah, loose. Yeah, turn them loose, yeah. Let, let them take you back. He said, they'll take you, they'll take care of you. When I was, uh, I was only about six years old, I during haying season, if I wasn't running stacker team, I'd have to, our cattle, we didn't have a lot of fences in those days. Our cattle were, summering were about six miles, five to six miles from the, from the ranch home and uh, had a, uh, my horse was named Flicka and my dad wouldn't let me ride with a saddle because he's afraid I'd get hung up. And his horse was wire shy and all the homesteaders had fences every quarter mile so you'd end up a horse would get caught in wire frequently or they'd, their hooves would hit it. Well, and this horse would go crazy every time that happened and dad just knew if, if that happened and I had a satellite hang up. So I'd ride bareback out about five, six miles to push the cattle back where they belonged. When I was real little, and I had a good little dog named Dixie, and she'd jump on the back of the horse from the ground. Nice, it was a border collie-type dog. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun times, I guess, in retrospect. And didn't, today it would be a, 
tremendous chore and you wouldn't put a six-year-old on a horse and turn him loose to go six miles <laughs> to move cattle. But we did what we had to do because I wasn't old enough to be in the hay field, he didn't think. I, I, I did drive stacker team once in a while. But. So you were six years old. You weren't, were you by yourself on the horse? or? Yeah, oh yeah. And you were driving cattle? Well, the cattle would tend to come home and we didn't have towards the headquarters or the ranch and we didn't have enough. I mean, yeah, I, we'd have to keep pushing them back because their tendency was on to graze towards home. So I'd go out every day on the, on the flicker and move the cattle back. And that was in the wintertime? No, that's in the summertime. summertime. Yeah. You say that uh, you uh, would sometimes get lost um, in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, like, t- describe a, a story like that. How old were you? Uh, what was the day like? Well, it was the first time it happened. And it was about three or four miles from home. I wasn't alone. We had another guy, Sam Olson. He was driving the team. We were feeding cows. And we got hit by this horrible blizzard. It was a total whiteout. And uh, we ended up, because he was still in control of the team, and he was taking them where he thought they, we should be going towards home. And... Uh, we crossed our own tracks, which oftentimes you do if you're lost. You come back right where you started. And so with that, he said the same thing my dad had told me before. He said, we just got to turn them loose and they'll get us home. And they did. And we're only about a mile away from home, but still lost, totally lost. Couldn't see anything. And then actually that happened with my dad, too, when I was with him when I was real small. Same same situation, different place. And my brother and I, we were in the later years, we were feeding with four-wheel drive pickup. So we got lost in the pickup, and we didn't have anything to turn loose to, so we just had to sit there. But if we'd have had the horses, been using a team of horses at the time, we'd have gotten home. But we sat it out out there for about three, four hours. That was Gordon Doeg of White Sulphur Springs. You've been listening to The Wind from Eden, Montana Weather Stories. I'm Jeff Rice. Funding for this program was provided by Humanities Montana with additional support from the Montana History Foundation. The audio of Ivan Doeg reading from This House of Sky was courtesy of Highbridge Audio, a division of recorded books. Music for our series was provided by Flynn Cohen of flynncohen.net.